0: So part of Buddhism is kind of being with it, but not reacting and causing yourself suffering. So the way that we see things, the way that we, there's a story we tell of ourselves about what's going on in front of us, even though we're not necessarily even part of it, we're just watching from the sidelines,
1: yeah.
0: can cause us suffering. And I think the race conversation, when the race conversation happens, or people try to make it happen. It's just people suffering, uh, white people suffering, black people suffering, and people trying not to engage.
1: So welcome to Time to Talk with Alex Holmes. My name is Alex Holmes, and I host this podcast weekly where I speak to guests for insights into all things health and wellness we chat to mental health practitioners, therapists, psychologists, holistic practitioners, healers, authors, leaders from all walks of life, experts in their fields about all things mental health and wellness. Every conversation on Time to Talk is a calling card to an issue that is not readily talked about but also with a guest who has something insightful to share or with a view to make us the best people possible. So buckle up. Let's get into the show. There are two ways that you can help support the podcast grow to be the best possible show that it could be. First one is free. Head over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review and subscribe. Throw down a five star rating, a long, long, in-depth review or as short as you want it to be and share with your friends and family and get them involved in the conversations. Interact with me on Instagram over at Holmes. on there. Drop me an email at alex at alexhomes.co. Happy to have conversations with you guys. I really appreciate you all for listening. But the second one is more to help you guys see the show grow. In the way that it could possibly do. And it takes a lot of effort to create these shows. So I've got a steady platform, which is very similar to Patreon, but it's over at steadyhq.com forward slash Alex Holmes. And you can join me on there with one of the plans from as little as six pounds per month. You can get access to private episodes, access to live shows, access to the video content that will be coming out with regards to the podcast very shortly and soon so there's going to be so much exclusive content available for you guys there so if you head over to steadyhq.com forward slash alexhomes you can subscribe and be a part of a growing community of people who want to see this podcast grow and really have those impactful mental health conversations that we hope can change the way that we all look at each other and help us be the best possible people that we can be. That's all let's get back to the show This week on Time to Talk I am so proud to bring you this conversation that I had and um, we are a year later from the George Floyd murder and all of the killings and pain from last year Hasn't necessarily gone away, but um, you know it, it's a, a very interesting time to sit down and, and really take stock of the kind of year that we've had with the pandemic, with the Derek Chauvin verdict, with what's going on at the minute. So um, it's something to really take stock of. This conversation I have is with Eugene Ellis. And now Eugene Ellis is an activist, writer and public speaker on issues of race, difference and intersectionality. But more interestingly, he is a psychotherapist and a practicing Buddhist. He has a special interest in body oriented therapies, mindfulness, and he's the founder and director of the Black African and Asian Therapy Network, as some may know it as Barton, B-A-A-T-N which is a network of therapists committed to and passionate about the psychological needs of Black, African and South Asian people in the UK. I loved this opportunity to speak to Eugene because without Barton, I would never have found my therapist and it would never have set me on a path to be encouraged to enter into that world. Um, So this conversation was amazing, but we talk about his experience growing up um, you know being a DJ producer um, you, you guys will love that conversation we have but he also talks about the intersections of race and how it affects the body and since the killing of George Floyd um, and all the trauma that's been going around I've had a lot of conversations around body traumas in black people specifically in black men and um it's a, it is a very welcomed conversation. So, again, as I always say, thank you to my guest for joining me today on this episode, and also to you guys. Stay bold, stay brave, and encouraged. And I thank you for kind of stepping into these bold conversations. Um, so yeah, let me know what you think. Do rate, review, and subscribe. Share the episode far and wide, and. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the show, Eugene Ellis. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, And people are going to figure out why i was so happy to have you here in a moment. But don't explain to um, the audience who you are.
0: Yeah, my name is Eugene, Eugene Ellis. I'm a psychotherapist, mainly. That's kind of how I see myself. But I'm moving into new roles. Uh, I'm an author as well. And it's been a while taking uh, saying this, but I'm also a practicing Buddhist. And uh, I've, I've been in Buddhism for a very long time, but uh, it's been a slow journey of kind of naming myself that. And I think it's been a long journey of naming myself a psychotherapist as well. Um, when I first trained, um, people wanted to know you know you're in a party or in a, you know you're talking to someone talking to friends or whatever and or other people and they and, what do you do and i say oh, i'm a i'm a i'm a psychotherapist and then the conversation would just kind of die
1: at that point
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but before that i was actually a sound engineer in um so sometimes i just used to say i'm i sou- i'm a sound engineer yeah. or something like that and uh, yeah the musical flow oh yeah 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 what what did you do and who who did you work with and the conversation would flow but um, I think there's something about how I carry that label as well, psychotherapist, you know, black male psychotherapist. Um, there's not many of us. And I think I carry it differently. So I think it's going to be it's different. I think people experience me when I talk about it differently.
1: Yeah.
0: I think I was. Um, what, what, what's my community going to say? Think of me mm-hmm. doing this work. And do they understand what I even do? Yeah. You're just talking, aren't you? You know all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, but they, yeah, those are those are my roles. And also, I'm also um, the founder of the Black African and Asian Therapy Network, which has been running for about 19 years. The primary aim really is to support people from those communities mm-hmm. uh, with their mental health, either by giving them access to therapists who they feel they could work with or, uh, talking to training organizations, um, thinking of theory and those kind of things. So, um, and that, that takes up a big chunk of my
1: time uh, doing that work. Yeah. yeah. And that's the reason why I was excited because the black Asian, Black African and South Asian therapy, sorry, the black African Asian therapy network, um, yeah. was, um, was how I found my therapist and it really put mm. me on this journey of talking about mental health and, and and getting my own personal and self-development um kind of on the way to doing what I'm doing and I've been kind yeah. of shouting from the rooftops that people should just go I've been calling it Barton <laughs> for ages I mean to go to um Barton and really you know tap in um tap into those therapists there for the therapists that look like us and um mm. could have some of the understand some of the cultural nuances that we explore and express and um yeah, yeah so I, I want to say personally like publicly now thank you so much <laughs> for doing that
0: oh that's really great um, i'm really i'm so pleased i'm really glad when people say that you know then yeah people I don't know and people who I haven't met before and I know that, that, that they've found something on the site. I mean, you don't have to see a therapist yeah. uh, to go there. Uh, there's
1: so much more stuff uh, that you can engage with yeah. on that, on the website, but yeah, thank you. No worries. No worries, um, And it's, 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 it's amazing. Um, but you've also got a book uh, that we're going to talk about a bit later. It's called the race conversation an essential guide to creating life-changing dialogue. Um, So we're going to jump into that a bit later. But before that, I wanted to just ask you just a bit more about kind of your journey to get into that space. And um, I wanted to ask you like, what was it like growing up for you and um, how, how did you get to the point of training to be um, a psychotherapist and then eventually becoming a, you know, practicing Buddhist? Mm.
0: I mean, I say a little bit about it in the book, but when when I was growing up, um, I felt fear for for most of the time. I, I mean, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put it in those words, you know, uh, at the time. certainly only when I think back, and um, I mean, some of that fear, um, certainly when I was in my, doing some therapy work, um, was really around my relationship with my father, and I guess. Any Caribbean person would know that, uh, you know, beatings are just like the order of the day, aren't they? Yeah. Which, which country <laughs> and, are you from? Uh, uh, my parents were from Jamaica. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. and uh, my parents have been living there for quite a while um, and sort of left us in the UK uh, in the late 80s. Yeah. Also mid-80s, early, uh, um, so... Um, but yeah, so, you know, that that those kind of old-time uh old-time generational strategy, really, isn't it, to ensure that we sort of keep. Um, well, how can I put this? I mean, I think the at the time when I was when when I was experiencing that, I mean, a lot of the beatings were for no reason I could think of, mm-hmm. and again, a lot of us would identify that. I'm always in, in two minds about how much to say, mm-hmm. um, because there are other people growing up in my family as well. Yeah and how much not to say but i've but i've learned over the years that i just need to just say my experience and i think it just feels better if i just talk about my experience mm-hmm. and and then things just sort of click into gear down the road somewhere and actually uh if i'm the, the more honest i am about those things the better it sort of feels like it turns out although the, you know it feels very scary mm-hmm. to 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 talk about it yeah. but yeah my my father um really dished out the licks really really dished them out yeah um at one point um I, I can remember a particular scene where my mother was um, I was in my room and I was sort of on my knees and she was sort of tending my back um so there was like like you know beating marks on my back and she was kind of tending them and say i sort of saying I don't know what the exact words were but kind of trying to get me to see his point of view where he was coming from and I still didn't get it because mm-hmm. I was really small at that time Yeah. and the fear of that really was just always present with me always present and I don't know whether it was just that or whether I was an introvert, and I didn't connect with a lot of things that other people were doing that I saw. Um, I liked the kinds of things that other people didn't like. I liked Star Trek. I liked to uh, um, think about sort of lofty ideas and all that stuff. And that's not really where other people were. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of stayed pretty much in my, in my little world, and I really kind of just disengaged really from the coalface of life you know and uh, and then when i um when i went to start work uh, i guess i was quite lucky i was very hard working my dad was very very hard working and i used to go and uh help him do his work so i did get that from him you know hard work mm-hmm. and i started uh working in the a recording studio this was a, a recording studio owned by pink floyd okay the band yeah and this was in Islington.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was what's called a tape operator. Um, oh, tape
1: what, tape, what are they?
0: <laughs> tape, tape, <tell> yes. <laughs> in those days, it was like big two-inch tape, 24 tracks. And that was the height of uh, technology in those days uh, with those big, big desks and everything. Yeah. Um, and I just hung around the studio. That's all I did. That's all I did. I just stayed in the studio. Uh, people came in. I looked after them. And I learned the job along the way. So I learned, you know, studio stuff and setting up microphones and all that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And eventually I was a sound engineer for the, the, the band soul to soul. Yeah. They okay. came in to do their first album. Um, and I was a tape operator in the studio and it was that when they came in, it was just like, well, it was just like a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was just so like, yeah, this is it. This is this is the music that I want to do, and the stuff that I'd learned meant that I could actually do sound engineering. And uh, Jazzy B asked me to be the sound engineer for their, 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 their you know the next few albums. Weird. So I moved into the studio in Camden mm-hmm. where they set up, and I helped set up the studio. And it was an amazing time for me, actually, because it was, was, was his like? band. Yeah, it yeah. was just. As well as meet, meeting all these famous people and, and just listening to music all day mm-hmm. and um it was just amazing to there was these black men or you know, young men and they were just doing their thing their way mm-hmm. and people were loving it. You know. It wasn't just black people were loving it, everyone was loving it. You know, we used to go to we went to China, we went to mm-hmm. Germany, went to France. Mm-hmm. Uh there were all kinds of people who really loved that music and it was really um, yeah, it was a real lesson actually, mm-hmm. in that you could be yourself. You could really express what you want to express and still be successful. People still want what you've got. Yeah. And um, so that was really, it was a real, yeah, it was a, it was a really, really important time for me actually all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was also very workaholic So I'd spend all the time in the studios and eventually it all came to a bit of a head, really. Um, mostly around my body. My body kind of gave up. It's a bit strange just sitting down mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Your body, My body kind of gave up and it's a very strange thing to me. I still don't really... I do get it now, mm-hmm. but my back went.
1: Oh, wow, okay. From sitting down for too long?
0: Your back just... Sitting down. Wow. Yeah. So I think it was it was quite an intense environment and there was lots of people and was, even though there was a lot going on, mm-hmm. I think my natural, where, who I was as a person um, and what was going on around me, I think which just my muscles just started to, you know, really start to uh, contract mm-hmm. and, um, and I understand it more now as trauma, you know, just sitting in my body. And if I'm not really attending to my body, if I'm not really looking after it stretching it out doing you know doing what it needs to needs to be done you know when, when my, the early trauma that i had not necessarily just my, my dad but you know by the you know just just living life as a black boy mm-hmm. you know that gaze you know from your teachers mm-hmm. you know you walk into a shop
1: and that gaze again they see it you're know, yeah, you on the telly it, it lodges it's all itself. There and
0: it all just yeah it just it lodges, lodges yourself indeed.
1: so i had a, um i had an experience about this the other day um yeah. and uh, i was thinking to because i went to get the vaccine. And um, okay. I was in the waiting room with my mum, who is immunocompromised, so I accompanied her to get it. Mm-hmm. And I felt that, and I was in this space, um, and I looked up and I saw a lot of older, white, male doctors. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: Um, And obviously they had, they had their masks on. But there was a feeling around me <laughs> that... Mm-hmm built like there's just this innate feeling of distrust of nerve mm. nervousness like outside of the nerves of you know having to wear a mask and being in this pandemic and whatnot sure but it was a nerve it was like this is like it, it was an energy that i felt that i i couldn't mm. quite place because i was like mm. it was just a it was a it was a an energy of suspicion it was an energy of um of Of just the feeling of having be of being around people who who, for whatever assumptions I'm making, have been given the opportunity to be that doctor or be that person and have that position of mm-hmm. status and power and around that and it just felt I could just feel it in my body, so understanding that what you just said about you know things are just lodging in your body and in your space, it just felt it kind of. It felt weird. It felt strange to me, and I and, I'm like, mm. and I and I thought about it, and I thought how a lot of people don't necessarily, um, you know, particularly white people, like they don't feel that. I'm not sure they would feel that kind of fear or that kind of body alertness because when they're in a space, because they don't need to.
0: And I don't know yeah, whether it's a, I don't know whether it's
1: an epigenetic kind of thing to just sit there. Like my body's gone through these these states of knowing who to fear, knowing what to fear, or feeling what that kind of fear looks like, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've certainly learned to know my body more. Mm. And the more I've got to know my body, the more I've kind of just noticed what, you know, just, just been aware of what's going on in there and is so busy, so active. And the way, you know, you, you've mentioned, you know, um, intergenerational stuff epigenetics and i think that all plays a part um for me when i think about trauma when i think about those kind of experiences that we have in our bodies um it's all about intergenerational trauma it's about things that have been passed on to us from past generations and our, and our ancestors okay um so and uh, that
1: yeah that yeah sorry no, i going to ask because then we're at intergenerational stuff, um, and I'm going to ask you a question about uh, post-slavery mm. syndrome and intergenerational trauma in general. But if we just double back to your experience of um, beat beatings by mm. your parents and things like that, what kind of effect did that have on the way that you kind of see or saw your parents? Um, and as you grew up, what did that kind of uh, delve into you? Because I look, I look at that and I think, you know there's distrust or there's kind of like, you know, and there's kind of a, there's, there's a disruption that happens between a parent and a child when they, when they become physical, physically abused, any kind of abuse. But um, there's a physical disruption, isn't there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the time, he was the source of everything that, uh, that was going wrong in my life and how my life was. So he, you know, he was, the, he was the guy. And so I'd be angry at him, but that that anger didn't come out directly towards him. It sort of just came back into me. Um and I also saw myself as weak. I almost, I saw myself as not being able to stand up for myself. Um, just being blown over by the wind. Mm. So it had a, had a big impact on me, just how, who, who I felt I was. Yeah. Cause the message to me was, uh, you're not strong enough or you need to be stronger. And the reason, so it, it, somewhere in the background, there was this kind of thing is of, yeah, you're not strong enough. Um, or if you're going to go out into the world and, and do whatever you're going to do, then you need to be stronger than this. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you something that's going to make you strong. Mm. Um, But for me, that didn't work. And it just kind of made me weak, made me feel weak. Mm. I think that's, that was really what,
1: what was a really lasting feeling. Yeah. How did you move from that? How did you move through with that? Because that's a, Mm. it's a bit to carry, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it all became on top when I was working and as a soul, as a sound engineer, mm-hmm. I, I, um, even though people were looking at me and thinking, wow, that guy's made it. He's got his, got his car and he's working with all these famous people, Shaka Khan and all kinds of people are coming in. Shaka and he's, you know, Yeah. And all these people was just coming one person after another, these famous people coming into the studio, Gregory Isaacs and, Uh, Yeah, it was, it was, it was was a crazy time, but in my heart, I just wasn't, I was just feeling flat in my body. Mm. I'm just feeling really, really flat. I know that now is depression. That's kind of what I would say it was, but at the time it was just how I was, you know, I didn't experience myself any different than I did, you know, five years ago. So, you know, it was just me, me, it was just me who I was. Mm -hmm. But I knew that it wasn't right, though, at the same time, because I could see people around me, um, you know, I'd go into... Yeah, I could see, see people around me just being different, and, and life was slightly different for them, or easier. So I made a decision to go into therapy. I just looked in time out, saw somewhere close to me, just turned up, and it was this white woman, Um, in Hampstead, you know, so it was, it was like, I'd gone right right into the belly of the beast. (laughs) Um, And so I was there for a a little while and then I was part of a group and then I saw, and the group is mainly a lot of white people. There's a few, there's another Asian person there and another black person there, but it was mainly white people in this group. And I was there for a while and I could just see these people it was like it was like watching Coronation Street or EastEnders. Oh, you know wow. the way that I did, I didn't think people were like this. <laughs> they were crying <laughs> in real life. You know yeah. what I mean? They were really talking about their who they were, what they were, what they were up to. People were genuinely interested in listening, um, and it just felt like, wow, this is okay. I really had to just recalibrate who I was at that point and it, it, actually it felt worse mm-hmm. because I couldn't do a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. um, but I did want to um and I also wanted a relationship um I wanted to raise children you know, I wanted to feel confident that I could do that with uh, emotional positivity and um you know being a father myself I wanted to be able to be a father like you know in a different way uh, which kind of really motivated me to continue this therapy journey, and I did it in secret. No one knew mm. what I was doing. Yeah. I did, at the time, I would, I would it would have been great if I could have just said that. Yeah. That's
1: not how it was
0: that in is, those days.
1: That is so. Um, that is so interesting because there's um, this is shame, isn't it? It's this idea of I've decided to go to therapy, and it's like. Especially in the black community, it's a bit like, well, "Why? Why do, Why are you going to therapy? What What business are you sharing with?" with yes, with, with, that's you right. You know, yeah. you know all that stuff. Yeah. And I remember I started therapy in 2017, and um, nobody knew. <laughs> like literally, it was literally mm-hmm. me and my friend, and then a few friends. Slowly, um, came to thing, and even recently, um, I spoke to my dad recently, and I just said, "Oh, I'm going to train to be a therapist," and he's like, "Okay." So you're gonna be getting into the minds of people, then, yeah. And I'm like, mm. okay. Um, but then he was, but then he was also like, but then I was like, okay. Then he said, oh, but who's gonna be your therapist? And I'm like, I've been in therapy since 2017, and I'm sure we've spoken about this like several times. And he was like, oh, <laughs> sort of stuff. Mm. And I'm just like, and I had to really address that and just think to myself, what was the reason for not mentioning that I was going through that um, that mm. process? And yeah, and yeah, a lot of it was to do with shame
0: yeah that you yeah that um it must be mad or weak yeah. to need someone else yeah yeah to help you yeah and i think that that goes to the heart of things for me uh, that you need to do things for yourself you need to be self sufficient and again that's just a, a you know another version of slavery you know internalized stuff that's been you know transmitted through the generations you need to be strong you need to be self-sufficient do it on your own manage your emotions and if you don't um then there must be yeah there's something wrong with you and and you know and i I think that act of accepting help and i think at that time i was there was some sort of desperateness in me and i and there weren't any other black there weren't black therapists that i knew at the time and i just had to go where where it was available Mm -hmm. um I mean, I later found a, a black therapist, a black male therapist. Um, I'd had uh, a few white therapists and then it was just like, a, it was like another another level having a black therapist, a black male therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you know about therapy, you know that there's kind of lots of things that go on, uh, you know, unconsciously between people.
1: Yeah.
0: And... The things that were activated with my black therapist, but just weren't activated with my white therapist. Yeah. It just wasn't the same. Yeah. Uh, I could go deeper, and it was—it was actually more. It, it was—it was more emotional, but it was actually more healing, yeah, as well. And that was quite amazing. That uh, that experience, really, because it just um, it allowed me to work with my with my dad in a slightly different way, yeah, and see black men in a different way in a different light you know he was asking me questions about things that i thought weren't really allowed to go you know uh, about crying you know uh, about being vulnerable yeah um and i can just you know just
1: my body just kind of loosened up over time yeah so i want to ask you two i want to ask you two things first thing would be about um emotional positivity and what that what that means, what that looks like, mm. and um, the second thing would be about what was the feeling in the body that you felt the release or the change in you when you you know began to navigate through these breakthroughs
0: I mean at the beginning i didn 't really think about my body that, that much; it was a lightness in my general. Attitude to myself, and I didn't feel quite so depressed. And I think in the beginning, it was just it was making connections and communicating with people, on a just on a deeper level, you know, saying that I was, you know, using the words, "I'm not doing that well today," or "I'm vulnerable today," or something, or, or something along those lines to 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 another human being, you know, for them to hear that. Uh, so that was that was transformational in in itself, just that, just that act. But if I think back about my body at at that time, I think, uh, you know, the the way that you hold your, yourself, you, the way that you look at someone, you know, is your head, head up, you know, is your body straight? Mm -hmm. Are you looking on the floor, you know, where's your shoulders, you know, your shoulders back and just those kinds of, They seem quite small things, Mm. but as I was going through my process, and I probably, I don't know if you felt the same, Mm. my body changed. And it sort of like just stood up (laughs) a bit more straighter (laughs) walking down the road. I didn't feel quite so, I mean, if people were anxious about being with, you know, me coming towards them, um, I, 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 I was less concerned about their anxiety and I just carried on walking if yeah. they wanted to walk, you know, give me a wide a, berth. That was fine. A bit, bit more of a confidence. In, <laughs> bit more of a confidence, the, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just it's just a few millimetres, maybe a couple of centimetres, just difference in your body, the way you stand.
1: Yeah.
0: Makes a big, big difference. And I think it makes, and you meet the world differently and then the world changes and reacts to you. And then it's like a, it's more, it's a more of a positive Cycle. Uh, Whereas before, I think my energy was quite low, and I didn't make contact, and people then didn't make contact with me, (laughs) and then
1: and then around and around it goes. So um, yeah, it's amazing how much that how much of that is um, important to the day to day. Just the kind Mm. of energies that we put out, simply like, and the and the things that we are receiving, and the way that we receive them, and how things are coming back to us, Um, and just and just a small shift. In perspective a small shift in um the way we show up uh, on a day-to-day can really pull together i mean i always i'm I'm forever writing on instagram about showing up for ourselves i'm sure people are annoyed that i keep saying this because it's just so revealing but i'm like but the way that we show up for ourselves is just so important i mean i start each day with an exercise of some kind or some kind of physical activity and there's days i don't want to be there And I don't want to be doing this on the floor. Mm. I'd rather be asleep. (laughs) (laughs) But then once it's done, I'm like, I'm actually so proud of myself for showing up for myself today because Mm. that Mm. just might not happen. And then that then dictates how I navigate the rest of the day because I'm like, all right, so I've showed up for myself before I I can show up for myself again in this conversation, again, in this email, again, in this, Mm. you know, so it tends to happen in that, in that way. But, um, I did want to ask you about the emotional positivity side of things. Is, is, is that similar to the whole energy um, putting out um, things? Because you were talking about you wanted to have, you know, a loving relationship, a family, and a, like a, a life that you could kind of like really nurture and go into. But how does emotional positivity sit in that now? And did you achieve all those things?
0: I did. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm married. I've got one. I've got a child. He's twenty now. Twenty.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, and he's working. And I think emotional positivity is a bit of a. It sort of sounds kind of nice, doesn't yeah. it? It sort of sounds kind of sugar sweet and yeah. honey, honey glistened and all that. <laughs> and I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But for me, emotional positivity not necessarily always being positive all the time but it's about being able to um take someone else's uh anger about you or the thing the things they don't like about you the things that annoy them and you know take it, taking it for what it is especially if it's someone who loves you and and then being able to do the same back and then and then recover from it and i think that's for me is really really important so i think we can get into arguments and fights and even be very very you know even be very damaging to each other and lots of levels but often that's where it's st- that's where it stops mm. it just gets stuck right there um and in, certainly with my yeah in my relationship we've got I mean, in all relationships, you just get into these stuck places mm-hmm. that seem like it's just impossible to move out. you know be both angry, you've both got your position, and yeah. that's it yeah. and emotional positivity really for me, is about how to sort of break that up um because because underneath all of that, there is love and there's connection. Um, and there's and there's a need to, to to feel connected and be connected, and so it's kind of it's 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 um it's messy mm-hmm. um, emotional positivity is quite
1: messy in some uh, ways that doesn't sound that that yeah. the words don't sound like that and this is I think this is the truth of it though isn't it It's the truth of it because I think that even um I was writing some stuff about love the other day, and it's so important and I, I was like this kind of idea. Of love that we get given this, um, you know, this lofty, like, you know, floating Mm. on a cloud kind of, that is the space that we want to be in and just like, you know, speaking softly like this and it's all like, for me, I'm like, look, at the end of the (laughs) day, right, like, that that is a part of it. And this is what I'm just. This is what mm. most of my investigations are into because I'm very like, much mm. like, we're gonna take one bit and go right in and really figure it out. But even looking at that, you know, that kind of love is great, and that part of love is amazing. But like the messy, like, the yeah. messy parts, the the yeah. messy parts of love, kind of need to be need to be looked at because they're the things that get overlooked and get brushed onto the carpet, and um, and. I don't know whether you can speak to the messy parts of love, but I'm literally just standing and observing and looking at it. I'm just thinking, Oh, how can I, like, how can we challenge that now? But I don't know what you can say to the messy parts of love. Mm.
0: (laughs) I mean, they're going to be there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that, that um, um, sort of, yeah, that, that beginning part, that, that beginning phase of love where, everyone's on their best behavior and everyone wants to put you know both both pies want to make a good impression yeah and there's only a limit to that there's a limit to that and it's great it is great and people seek that that particular feeling because it does feel great there's lots of endorphins running through your body you feel good there's lots of good chemicals all sort of swimming around in there and then when it gets messy, when it gets hard, they then go and find that same feeling somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But then, um, but then, then there's a, there's another level of something that that people miss out. Then, and in a way, part of it, part of it, part of the difficulties. Our bodies, if we've been traumatised, or if even if even the way we think about trauma as well is even needs a real look at a real calibrate really be calibrated around because trauma normally we think of as someone's in a car accident or they've been mugged or something and then that's what we think trauma is yeah but trauma is all kinds of stuff it could be just lots of little things little drip 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 things your boss just making racist comments you know literally every day Mm. or not necessarily to you but you know or putting a poster up on the wall or putting signs up that don't include you yeah all those little things drip drip things over years can be quite tra- you know traumatic and it sort of lives in our bodies and then when things get difficult you know in relationships it just our body just can't take it you know it's, it's just one step too far uh beyond normal living you know, the, the, you know normal living especially for uh, black people and so you know i think attending to the body really which i think therapy is strangely enough it sort of feels like oh you're just there talking but actually you're attending to the body and you're making it a more resilient more flexible so that it can duck and dive and it can actually stay in the mess but still respond with love yeah uh, and compassion for yourself firstly <laughs> that's the first place and then you know, if you can extend it to another person. But even if you just have compassion for yourself, that can be enough just to break break something up. Uh and those difficult moments in relationships can be can can kind of be you know, they, they they're in the rear view mirror after a while. Of course there's gonna be another one mm-hmm. down the road, but um but that they know that's just how relationships are. Um so yeah, so I think for me just I didn't really think about the body, but then I started to think more and more about the body over time, and I actually then started to think about well, um, but more in terms of sport and and exercise and those yeah. kind of things, and keeping my you know keeping my body healthy in that way. Yeah, but then I wanted to dig a bit deeper as well, and I took up meditation.
1: Yeah, I was literally going. I thought you were going to ask you about the, um, what, which is how did how yeah. did that kind of all lead to you into the buddhist mindset and then mindfulness and all that stuff
0: yeah i mean you know that that is turning up for yourself just sitting sitting down and meditating or doing something i
1: struggle with meditation Uh, my mind is my mind likes to do gymnastics and 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 (laughs) hip-hop dance routines so i think that for me to actually sit down and do (laughs) meditation they're like the studio's closed what's happening um so uh, explain to me how you got interested Uh, and involved in um in meditation, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean, I. Uh, well, my my partner, my wife, is uh, is a Buddhist. Okay. So, or she she was she was a Buddhist when when I met, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that I was involved in not the only reason, but a big draw was that we were doing in those days they were doing um people of color retreats. Okay. So, so she invited me onto this people of color retreat and I mean, it was, it was, you know, I fancied her anyway, so it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a difficult yeah. decision uh, to make. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I just got into this. Um, yeah. there was this, yeah. How many people were there? 15, 20 people in the shrine room, all of color just sitting there. So that was, that was big anyway. Uh, i was and because uh, i 've always thought of meditation as a white you know what white people do um or what Chinese people do or Indian people do uh not what black people do so again so so that was one thing yeah. one tick and, and so and, and so that was the way in really and uh, I, t- I attended uh you know these retreats they were they were quite long sometimes sometimes they were a week long
1: okay
0: sometimes they were a weekend so interesting um people would talk about uh the Buddhist a way of thinking about things and everything that was said every single word that was said i could just place into my experience mm-hmm. as a black man which is which again which is odd thing to say and to experience but there it was and and then it, it also i was taught meditation how to do it then but when i first started yeah i thought i was i was i thought i was the king you know <laughs> you're supposed to just sit there and count to 10 and count your breath and yeah and uh, so I was doing that and everyone around me just seemed to be so deep in concentration. And, but um, after a while, I, I kind of got it. Um, it wasn't really about me feeling good. So that was, that, so that was a turning point. Meditation mm-hmm. is about, it's not necessarily about feeling okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you spoke about, you know, you talked about uh, uh, some, sometimes you don't want to turn up for yourself in the morning, you wake up. You just don't want to do it but yeah. then when you do it you're glad that you did yeah, yeah. um because you, you know there's so many other things to do yeah. in life and i'm a bit uh when i wake up in the morning i'm just um, my brain is on revving up i, I can't wait to get onto yeah. emails and doing stuff and meditating is it's just that it's just ink in, in the way you know what i mean when i wake up just in the it's way. Like, it's like sit
1: there and be what still you are <laughs> like, i have things, so yeah but and, and i know I, yeah, I see that i see that um i see the benefit definitely and i have and i've experienced the benefits of it um i just think that but i also recognize how important it is for me to actually make it work for the way that i work does that make any sense sure um, yeah 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 so i know that in the morning that's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna be doing it in the morning because morning is where I need to be the most active. And um, but the most where I don't need to be the most active is in the evening when I need to be resting. Mm. So I need to be mm. doing meditations mm. at night. And, um, mm. and that's kind of where I, that's kind of that, that level of kind of self awareness is being understanding that and really saying, you know, I, I, I need to sit down and take some time out for myself before I go to sleep mm. to kind mm. of encourage better sleep and better and a, and a, and a clearer mind for me to be getting to bed. But, um, what was it like then making that decision to become a Buddhist? I I'm intrigued as to kind of like what that what that meant for kind of, you know, raising and growing a family and the like.
0: I took a long time to get to that place because I've been involved in Buddhist meditation for about twenty five years. And I always said to myself that uh, that you know the the meditation was good and the teachings are good, but I'm not a buddhist I'm, I'm, a, so I'm Buddhist, but no, I'm not Buddhist yeah. you know and that was how it was and I found it I found it kind of hard to place myself in 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 in, in the order that um, I was spending a lot of time in because the the p s. c space is a person color space, and then there were some other spaces um called sort of butterfield spaces, which are sort of again they're all kind of slightly on the outside of the center mm. so that's kind of where I place myself and um but I think the more uh, oh and then i did um I did some study, so if you want to you can you can join these groups and then you can do study and the first few years of the study, again, it was kind of just interesting. My my mind likes these really big, grand ideas, and yeah. I can dine out on them and chew on them, and it's all really great. I think since the beginning of the year, since COVID, really, and since George Floyd, I think it's really, really been mm-hmm. – I've seen the study that I've do, been doing in a different way. It's sort of just – I mean like many people i mean you know my, i didn't know i didn't know what to do or place or where to place myself around george floyd and uh I was feeling a lot in my body mm-hmm. and i had to i mean i have a a back issue, and so i was i was literally at the osteopath just before I came onto this call oh okay because uh, you know, the, my back muscles are just really... You know, that's where all my stress goes, in, into yeah, my back. Yeah. Uh, I could just really, really feel it. I was literally bristling. My whole body was bristling um, when I was meditating. It was, it was, uh, it's kind of calmed itself down now. Mm. But my, my, I thought my mind was fairly clear around racism, mm-hmm. and, but it just got all fragmented again. And I think I, I just needed something bigger to To hold to hold what was going on, and I actually found the the study of Buddhism, uh, or, or the ideas within Buddhism, it's really, it really held my experience. It really held my experience of what I was going through. And and not just held held it, but actually then threw in a little few pinches of compassion in there as well mm. for for me, and. And I and I could sort of see things shifting the more I embraced these ideas, the more I kind of dug into them. And so so in a way it was it wasn't really blind faith. It was it was like it just a kind of, oh this is working, oh this is working, oh that's mm-hmm. working and just and over the years it's kind of built up to the point where I just think I'm not sure how I would think about the world if I didn't really have these ideas <laughs> and these practices. And yeah. I don't really know if I'd survive. Even that's kind of how how it feels. Or, or you know, the idea of going back to as I to the person I was before is just horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just horrifying. I just don't want to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah. So it's kind of grown on me. So it hasn't been an instant. Um, and I know some people in yeah. you know, the people of color spaces sort of come into it and bang. You know, they're kind of instantly there. And uh, it it's taking it, me a very
1: very long time. It took its time with you. Yeah yeah so on this conversation around race and um, and stuff and based on all of your experience as a, as a therapist and as somebody who you know has been practicing meditation and Buddhist meditation and 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 the like you say that you know your study then helps you kind of look at the race conversation slightly differently um, after but What has it made you what has it made you see now, looking at all of that and kind of the way that you want to kind of see a future for the way that we have the way that we talk about race, the way we talk about blackness and whiteness, the way that we understand trauma and um and and becoming all aware of all of these things
0: i mean one of the, i guess the, one of the central ideas in in Buddhism is about suffering, isn't it yeah that we all suffer and actually life is suffering yeah. and you know the way I see the race conversation is is is, is kind of around suffering and clinging as well as another it is another thing sort of clinging to things and i suppose I've been, I've been looking at the um, Trump campaign and the elections. And at one point, I was literally on this thing for a couple of hours a day, listening to people, news reports and all that. And as I was listening to all of that, and I was seeing sort of whiteness on display in America in the way that it has been, I, I just feel really, really sorry for, for them, you know what I mean. <laughs> for those guys, there's part of me that just feels like they, they must be suffering. For who in particular? To be behaving like that.
1: And for who in particular?
0: For um, for for a lot of the white people who are saying whatever they're saying okay. on the airwaves about yeah. about Trump and how they like him and mm. and and what feel like lies. So that is, um, so I guess just the way I, see, way I see all that. I mean, if I experience it directly in front of me, obviously that's, a, that's another story if someone's going to be coming, coming to me like that. But it's on the telly and I'm watching it. So I can stand back from it a little bit mm. and not get too engaged. But just, just and, and um, so part of Buddhism is kind of being with it, but not reacting and causing yourself suffering. So, the way that we see things, the way that we, there's a story we tell of ourselves about what's going on in front of us, even though we're not necessarily even part of it, we're just watching from, from the sidelines, yeah. can cause us suffering. And I think the race conversation, when the race conversation happens or people try to make it happen, it's just people suffering, uh, white people suffering, black people suffering, and people trying to not to engage. With the suffering, but they think, "Well, why are white people suffering? you know why black people are suffering, mm. and there's something about identity and what white, what a white identity means mm. for a white person, and the, you know, and the idea of losing that identity, the, the idea of losing privilege, clinging onto it, feels feels like it's suffering, feels like it's suffering." So, just all those ideas can kind of um, come. You know, people can come to the raised conversation in a slightly different way mm-hmm. with some of this information, and especially how trauma works as well. What happens to our bodies when we
1: yeah.
0: when we're triggered, and those kind of ideas. So that's kind of what the, my writing has been around, yeah. and how to make those conversations
1: real, but less suffering. Yeah. Involved. What do you hope to see in an ideal situation? Somebody picks up your book. We, you know, have the conversation. Like in the next, you know, in the next five, ten years, twenty. Um, what do yeah. you what, what do you hope to be seeing? I'm a I'm a annoying optimist, <laughs> but um, I'm always interested to hear what other people hope to see when it comes to this stuff.
0: I think um, when one person is traumatized, we can see that they might get better down the road if they have if they have the right conditions to do that. So one individual. So I think it's fair to think that if, if, a, if a generation or a group, one particular group, are traumatized as a group. That over time things will change. So I'm an optimist in that sense, uh, but I think we've got a long, t- a long way to go, and maybe even centuries still to go before we're undoing racism. But I think in the in the meantime, certainly with this book at least, I wanted to convey that it's possible to move beyond the surface uh, discomforts and the self preoccupations of of race, um, and that it's possible to get into a genuine communication around it and a healing. And I think a lot of people feel it's just not possible. Mm. It's too big. It's too hard. And well, why, why even try? Um, and when you do try, it's really, really hard. So there's no, there's no, there's no point. Mm. So I just wanted to convey that actually there is, I have seen many people, um, myself (laughs) go through this process. where race, race has just squashed me and then I've somehow come up. Um, so i wanted to convey that uh, I, I also wanted um also and i think that i think that hope i think that's really what i wanted to kind of say really uh so i am quite hopeful uh i might be in a little bubble because a lot of people i i know uh think like me and i have lots of conversations and they're very rich around race so maybe maybe it's just me uh being hopeful but, you know, I look online and I look I look around and there's all these conversations happening, uh, maybe not in the places that they really need to be happening, but it's getting closer. It feels like it's getting closer to the people who really need to really need to know it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a challenge for us to keep the, our foot on the gas, uh, given what's been happening over the last few months and to sort of keep race on the agenda. I'm mm-hmm. sure it will duck back down again under and baby subsumed by whatever else comes up in its place. But there, but I think, I think there's been a shift it feels like to me mm-hmm. in how people want to engage with race. Cause I, a few years ago, I mean, before maybe last year, or the year before it was really, really hard to have a race conversation in ordinary life. Just go, but now it just seems hard not to, yeah. you know, everyone really wants to, have a conversation now around it yeah even though they might feel a bit awkward
1: yeah
0: um so yeah and i mean coming back to my dad i mean i think that was also an, an important thing to just finish off with him actually because mm-hmm. even though i'd started off in a particular way thinking about him and uh, uh, my view about him he was the cause of everything that shifted after after therapy and also after writing, doing writing and, and thinking about uh, intergenerational trauma. I mean, I remember, I still have these vivid memories of sitting in these workshops as the only black person <laughs> in these workshops, thinking about trauma, mm-hmm. uh, these lectures. And sometimes these lectures will be like week-long lectures. And, the, and the, house, the, the building would be packed with people. There'd be literally hundreds and hundreds of people in this room. Talking about the impact of trauma and working with on with trauma with patients,
1: yeah
0: I was the only black man in the room, <laughs> and as i was as I, I I know I was listening to it very very differently than the rest of the audience, I was thinking about ah, oh, oh this fits in with my dad, you know this fits in with my sister, this fits in with me but mm. uh, I know probably everyone else wasn't thinking that, and in a way we you know me and my dad were just sort of we were caught up in a particular moment and in a particular time and intergenerate you we, we know we, we were sort of caught up and shaped by intergenerational trauma mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: and at some level it wasn't about him and it wasn't about me and that kind of just freed freed me up a lot really and and then my relationship with my dad had changed. And uh, I didn't really see him in the same way. And I could see that there was love there. I could mm. see that he was what, what he was trying to do. And doing his best. And doing his best, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a big shift. Yeah. Um, but I think just knowing about trauma and how it works was really, really helpful
1: for yeah. me in, in shifting that. So, as a way of rounding up, then, I want you to talk to me about this Ben Okri quote. That oh yes, um,
0: Ben Okri. I I love Ben Okri, mm-hmm. and this particular book, A Way of Being Free, is a very slim book. I like slim books that don't, don't have too many pages, <laughs> but it's packed full of wisdom, really, around stories. Yeah. around storytelling. Um, and uh, the quote is, um, it's easy to forget how mysterious and mighty stories are. They do their work in silence, invisibly. Beware the stories you tell or read subtly at night beneath the waters of consciousness. They are altering our world. And that has just been sitting on my desk. <laughs> and, um it sort of feels okay well that sort of seems really obvious in some ways isn't it but mm. but the the way i started barton was based on that quote mm. and the way that i i think about kind of what i say and what i what i communicate to people and what i choose to have coming at me mm-hmm. is around stories and you know we're humans we're, we seek story you know we're uh sort of story seekers aren't we and uh, we seek meaning yeah uh the stories give us you know the, the stories our, tele- our parents tell about us we become and the, the stories that society tells us we also become so we we do reference ourselves to the stories that we tell ourselves and other people tell us and that quote really yeah they they do they work invisibly um, underneath the surface mm. uh, because they, and then they, they really do alter what you perceive about yourself and others and certainly with Barton what I really want the story I wanted to be told there was that you don't have to be mad or be locked up to attend to your mental health mm-hmm. and a lot of money goes into people who really have really acute personality disorders or psychotic breaks and and that's where we think the the help needs to go but i just thought actually there's this huge group of people ordinary folk going about their business going to work uh just you know bringing up families doing their stuff those are the people really that really that could actually benefit from therapy absolutely rather than other people who are really at, you know really at the death door when it comes to their mental health yeah so i really wanted to press that press that button on that on that group of ordinary people mm. who were on the edge of something perhaps um, so i thought that was important also it was important to tell a story of a, of um a community of people engaged in this work that look like you and i think you, like you had had your experience so i was just very conscious of stories so yeah that that quote um yeah really yeah really 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 spoke to me at the time and, and mm-hmm. still does still sort of guides me
1: yeah amazing amazing Thank you so much for listening to the episode. This show is produced by Pure Creation Media. If you want exclusive and private content and a way to support the show, head over to SteadyHQ.com forward slash Alex Holmes and join the supporters who help me keep this show afloat for as little as £6 per month. You can also support the podcast by rating, reviewing the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. As the show gets more reviews and more ratings, the more the show can grow. Have a happy week. Until next time, I'll catch you then.